Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. I'm finna get a hot dog. I'm finna get a hot dog. The hot dog. Yes, it is a melange of meats packed together and pressed into a bun for safe eating. But as comedian Jamie Loftus writes in her new travelogue come cultural history, Raw Dog, the hot dog is also so much more. Their high culture, their low culture, their sports food, and their hangover food, writes Loftus, And they're deeply American for reasons that few people can explain, but everyone has been told their entire lives. We'll spend the hour with Jamie Loftus talking about the history of the hot dog, which is filled with lies, as well as considering how the sausage actually gets made. She says, The hot dog, my hot dog, is the delicious and inevitable product of centuries of violence, poverty, ambition. Hot dogs in America, coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined this morning by comedian Jamie Loftus, who is the author of the new book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. It's part hot dog travelogue as she and her then partner travel the country sampling hot dogs and part cultural critique. There's nothing pretty about the industries that come together to form the hot dog into the cylindrical meat product that it is. And yet, we all have memories of hot dogs eaten or not eaten, of trips to the baseball game or the Home Depot, of cookouts and macaroni and cheese with hot dogs inexplicably sliced into the otherwise perfectly good noodle and cheese slurry. If there's one thing that seems true about our country at this particular moment, systems we hate can still create things that we love. And figuring out how to navigate those contradictions is a first-order problem, which we will approach this morning through the hot dog. Thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I can imagine that listeners have so many questions already, but let's start with the obvious (laughs) one, which is why did you cross the country eating hot dogs? Somebody had to do it, I feel. (laughs) Yes, Um, it was written. Someone had to do it. Exactly. I it was it was funny because I, I did this in the summer of 2021. It's my first book, and uh, my literary agent was like, "Well, to be honest, there hasn't been a travel book in a while. So if you're comfortable <laughs> doing a travel book, you probably have a good shot at getting to make it." And so I had I have this like list of topics in this you know cursed Google Doc I have of topics that I would be very happy to be focused on for six months or more. Um, and hot dogs has always been at the top of this list. <laughs> and and when I looked into it, I mean, there's really not very much written about them. Um, there's one sort of hot dog historian whose work I consulted a lot, a guy named Bruce Craig. But other than that, I mean, there's either very 
pro hot dog literature or very anti hot dog literature. There's no uh, full exploration. So that was sort of my my mission. So what is the real genealogy of the hot dog? And maybe in this explanation, you can also explain why in your book, the hot dog has she, her pronouns. Yes. Well, I just, I mean, I feel very closely identified with the hot dog, so I'm projecting. <laughs> I do believe that the hot dog, I mean, it is it is sort of this blank canvas. Uh, and as I was traveling around the country, I know this is true internationally, too, where you see um, on the hot dog just kind of the uh, food culture of the area projected onto this meaty little canvas, um, which I love. And uh, hot dogs, I mean, there's all of these sort of um, entertaining, but ultimately made up uh, stories about where exactly they come from. But um, what it comes down to is it's uh, the food traditions that were coming over with Greek immigrants and Polish immigrants and German immigrants and Austrian immigrants uh, over a period of years. And then they start to really get popular uh, during the Great Depression mm. when there is a need for uh, cheap street food um, after food has kind of been industrialized. I mean, one of the interesting things in this book, too, though, is you note that, like, the different lies about the origins of the hot dog and this hot dog <laughs> seller bringing it up, they kind of all align in these particular ways. Like, what what did you find there? Yeah. So it reminded me of, and when I was saying this to my editor, she was like, all right, I'll hear you out. But this does sound unhinged. Um, but it, it has this, you know, business narrative that we hear with, like, tech startup guys today mm. of, like, one brave, usually man, um, you know, had this brilliant idea one day. They came from nothing and it was one brilliant idea and then blood, sweat and tears and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and they made a hot dog empire, which is almost never true, um, just as it isn't true with, with most uh, tech startups. But I think it's like a very potent, like American dream kind of story that you find with the hot dog that you find across a lot of industries. Mm. Um, yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, we're going to go uh, deeper a little later in the show on kind of the innards of hot dogs and capitalism. <laughs> but first, I need your approach to eating hot dogs. Like, what is your perfect dog? How should it be eaten? Like, lay that out for us. This is the point where uh, listeners decide if they're going to take me seriously or not. <laughs> People feel very strongly about hot dogs, which I love. Um, I learned over the course of this trip, I didn't know that this was my ideal hot dog before, but I love when a hot dog is split and grilled. Um, I also wouldn't object to a quick dip in a deep fryer. They do that some places in New Jersey. Um, but I like it split and grilled. I like a toasted bun. Uh, I like the New England buns. I'm from New England. And uh, most controversially, I do put ketchup on my hot dog. Many uh, will break your arm for saying this. Uh, and then I also do mustard relish and onions. I like a simple, perfect grilled hot dog. And where did you find the ideal hot dog for you? Oh, I kind of found it... Um, over time, I think by the end of the summer, when I was home in Massachusetts, I was able to make the perfect hot dog for myself based mm. on what I had learned around the country. It was really cool because I had split grilled dogs in D.C., which I hadn't had up till then. And I was like, oh, I really like this make, but I don't really want chili on it like they do in D.C. Um, I knew the buns that I liked. I knew how I liked them prepared. I think bun infrastructure is really 
critical uh, for hot dogs. And so I feel like I, I, I learned a little bit from everywhere. And then I really like, some people think this is disgusting, but I, I think it's great. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, they put cream cheese on a toasted bun. Um, and then you almost get this sort of deconstructed bagel element Ooh. of like bread, cream cheese, and then like a, a little bit of meat on top. It makes sense if you think about it. <laughs> it makes sense. And yet I'm still grossed out by it. Um, <laughs> Most people <yeah>. are. <laughs> so... We know that we have vegetarians and vegans who are listening to the show, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is your approach? Because obviously, if you tell a lot of people in L.A. that you're writing a book about hot dogs, like roughly one half of them will immediately find you disgusting. So what's your <laughs> a- approach to like uh, vegetarianism, vegans and this book? Um, I mean, I, I try to say as often as I can in the book that they're correct. <laughs> they're doing the right thing. <laughs> like, like morally, they're correct. Yeah. They are correct. And, and um, I think that it used to be uh, more difficult to, um, you know, be around hot dog culture as a vegan or a vegetarian than it is now. There's a lot of good alternatives now. Um, you've got like the, the smart dog has really been on a journey over the years and it like tastes pretty close to the real thing now. So I think that uh, vegans and vegetarians are in a better place. And especially in LA, because I think LA is so fascinating because it is the city in the US that eats the most hot dogs per capita, which mm. people are really surprised to hear. I'm um, just glad somebody keeps true. that statistic, you know? It's someone has to keep that statistic alive. I'm like, the city contains multitudes that people don't realize. We're gobbling glizzies over there, uh, like no one's business. But um, but yeah, I think for for vegetarians and vegans, there's um, there's options now. You can fully participate in hot dog culture. I've been uh, as I've been sort of taking this book on the road and doing these book tour shows. I'll have my moderator compete in a hot dog eating contest with me, <laughs> and which sometimes they're expecting often they're not um but if they're you know and sometimes they'll be like oh i can't i'm a vegetarian and it's like well actually you can and yes unfortunately for you i've prepared for that yeah (laughs) i have prepared for that uh for that probability so you know part of the structure of this book um which is really smart and really fun is you go to a bunch of different you know kind of different shops that sell many different kinds that sell hot dogs. And it has a bit of a diners drives and, and a diners dive in drive-ins and dives like the Guy Fieri show. Guy Fieri show. Wow. So thank you. Hi, it has a little bit of that. And so I wanted to know if, if Guy Fieri is the mayor of Flavortown, what would mm-hmm. you say your role would be in the civic infrastructure of Flavortown? Oh my God. I would want to be like the comp troller or something. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to be like not super prominent, but also critical <laughs> to flavor town. I want to do some oversight. <laughs> flavor town needs oversight desperately, and I think that I'm just the girl to to help. Oh my gosh, it was really exciting as I was going through because um, you can tell. I mean, I'm sure you, like if you've ever been to any restaurant that has been graced by Guy Fieri's presence, like they really let you know. And there was this um, hot dog place I went to in. North Carolina that had very obviously been visited by the God himself because (laughs) it appeared to have become like the theme of the restaurant over time. Like it was just pictures of him everywhere. And then they like highlighted the table where he'd sat and it was just, it was very worshipful. I thought it was very beautiful. It's like going to a temple. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, 
wanted to ask you about some of the other narrative around these hot dog establishments, because it is one of these strange things that, you know, a hamburger stand like sells hamburgers and they don't necessarily have, you know, a mascot with eyes or whatever, you know, or dressed up as a as a hamburger woman. And yet it seems like most of these hot dog places have an actual mascot that is usually takes the form of an anthropomorphized hot dog. Why is that? I really don't know. I have a theory, but like it's, I, I, I've been, uh, I sort of continued. It's not even research at this point. It's just a lifestyle. I'm no longer writing the book, but I still try new hot dogs everywhere I go. And I want to see what the anthropomorphizing, uh, is because, but it's always the same. It's like these Mickey mouse gloves, the hot dogs often wearing sneakers, which feels evil to me. I think that there is like among meat consumers, although they'll do this for fruits and vegetables too, like there's this like innate human desire to think, to like need the food we eat to want us to desperately eat it. Like, <laughs> they're, they're not, I don't know what it is, but I think especially with meat products and with the hot dog, there's this statue that I've seen around the country. Um, it is a pop. I think it's just like sort of the go-to if you Google hot dog statue, just to indicate what kind of restaurant it is. It's this statue that I cannot emphasize how much I detest. I, this guy freaks me out so much, but it's a hot dog that's kind of leaning over and licking its own lips as if he is eager to be eaten, yes. squirting hot dog on his head. Oh, it is so evil. I don't know why that, and it's everywhere. It's a crowd. I've seen it, you know, 10 or 20 times and it costs $1,500. People are like paying in four for this disgusting statue. And I think it it is just like, you know, if you're a meat eater, there is a level of, I think at least in the modern sense, there's a lot, there's a little bit of guilt. There's a little bit of shame because you know that you're participating in something pretty unsavory, but there's some sort of weird pleasure to like, well, but this hot dog can't wait for me to eat it. The hot dog place I went up to, went to as a kid, I actually looked it up and they have that statue and they name him in this particular oh case God. Wacky McWiener. I guess you're not that is the oh, actual name on, the, on I regret to inform you that was his name. We <laughs> are talking with Jamie Loftus. She is the author of a new book called Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. We would love to hear from you. Simple call out. What's your hot dog story? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can email forum at kqed.org. We'll be back with more. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Everyone would be in love with me. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure... The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I'm joined this morning by Jamie Loftus, author of the new book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. She's a comedian, of course, been a staff writer on Teenage Euthanasia, Robot Chicken, and Star Trek Lower Decks. Also has done a bunch of other wonderful comedy. Um, I do need to tell you, Jamie, my hot dog story, um, since we're going to get hot dog stories from listeners as well. Um, Please, let's get personal. Yes. <laughs> my <laughs> first job was as a telemarketer. Um, I was a 90s teen, and we were selling database software to chemical plant managers. Um, That was my job. And by selling, I mean we were not selling anything. I mean, it was extremely (laughs) depressing, and we were in like a drop ceiling office park thing, and there was like a bell that they had installed that we were going to like ring when we made a sale, but like we never sold anything, so the bell never rang. And the one thing our manager... (laughs) Um, who actually required that we call him Jimbo, not Jim or James, but Jimbo. The one thing that he did to aid our morale was to require that we all go eat hot dogs on Wednesdays all together at a place called the Wiener Wagon. This is the same Wiener Wagon that has that same horrible statue you were talking about, Wacky McWiener. And that all this to say sounds kind of like torture. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. And I was also the youngest person by like twenty years, so I would just sit around oh, as everyone just said Wiener Wagon Wednesdays over and over. All but <laughs> to say that was my introduction to office culture right there. I feel like I nailed it on my very first job. Um, wow. A yeah. lot of sorry to bother you energy about that anecdote. Oh man, yeah. serious. <laughs> I actually got to tell Boots Riley that story and it was one of my oh, happiest cool. moments of my life. Yeah. Greatest. <laughs> We would love to hear your hot dog stories, uh, listeners. The number is 866-733-6786. Forum at kqed.org is the email address. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. And let's uh, let's take our first hot dog story. Don in Menlo Park, oh. welcome. Good morning. You guys are on fire with your topics this week. But, <laughs> Thank you, Don. Um, I uh, love hot dogs. I really, you know, I had hot dogs as a kid and like whatever, but I really learned to love hot dogs when I was in Buffalo, New York for my PhD mm. and they had Ted's Red Hot. Yes. Um, like so good. They have hot dog stands. It's an amazing thing. You don't have hot dog stands in, in, in Washington like they do in Buffalo. Anyway, um, I learned Buffalo style hot dogs are the best in my mind, um, which is mm-hmm. a, a, a long, like, not not ballpark, but a longer hot dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, head sauce, which is kind of like a piccalilli relish, a pickle and mustard and onions. So that's great. But oh, the I real, the real, yeah, they're great. The real meat of this is that um, I really solidified my love for the hot dog when I lived in Asia because you can get a hamburger in Asia. Um, but you can't get a hot dog, a really good American hot dog in Asia. And people would ask me what my favorite food from America was, you know. And I'm like, well, it's the hot dog. <laughs> you know, it's this You're, you're playing to type. Yeah, right. I feel like also <laughs> know, you could make a killing amazing. opening up the hot dog stand in Asia. Yeah. That's what, yeah. Right. I, I know. I know. Um, and also, I mean, you could get a $1.50 hot dog at Costco. I mean, uh, that is super cheap. Right. And it's an amazing food. Unfortunate, you know, origins, which I'm sure you guys are going to talk about. But Indeed it's we are. Food. Yes. Yes. Yeah, anyway, I mean, well, thanks for the topic. All right. Oh, hey, thank you so much. Shout out. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, talk to me about that. You, you didn't you go there? I did. Yeah, I was really excited to go to. I mean, uh, upstate New York has like pretty unbelievable hot dog culture, very underrated. Um, and in Rochester, you have uh, the Red Hots versus the White Hots. There's a, a company that's local to there called, I think it's pronounced Weagles. Um, and they have this uh, incredible dish that you won't need to eat for like five days afterwards. It's called a garbage plate, um, where it's like a bunch <laughs> of chopped up hot dogs on top of a bunch of other garbage, hash browns, like macaroni and cheese, coleslaw, like kind of whatever. It's like a hangover cure-all. Didn't they trademark that actually too? Garbage place? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And and so you see places around Rochester that are clearly ripping off the garbage plate, but they have to call it like... The trash trash. heap. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Flaming dumpster fire plate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Don also mentioned the Costco dog. Um, yes. I wanted you to talk. A, yeah, I wanted you to talk a little bit about it, both as food and I think I, what I want to say is as capitalist propaganda. Yes, I agree. Uh, so this is it's so because first of all, I will say I've had a Costco dog many times. It is delicious. I will not um, take that away from anybody. If you love a Costco dog, fine by me. The anecdote is um, a little bizarre to me, especially with like I think. Uh, bigger awareness of the issues of capitalism. Uh, but yeah, there, there's this famous anecdote that people love. It goes viral every 12 minutes, it feels like. And then 400 people send it to me um, about how I believe it's the president of Costco who's been in charge of Costco for a long time, a billionaire. Um, you know, the CEO uh, uh, goes to the president and says, um, you know, I, I think we should raise the price of the hot dog because we're losing money on it. It costs $1.50 and that doesn't really match with, you know, current the current price of having to make a hot dog. And the um, president responds hilariously by saying, uh, if you raise the price of the hot dog, I will expletive kill you, <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny. But it is like it's so bizarre to me that there is this very popular kind of folk tale that goes around that is like, isn't this billionaire about a billionaire so protecting awesome? the people's food? Yeah, yeah, a billionaire like yelling at a billionaire, and it's just very, um, it's very bizarre to me that it's so popular. Um, I, I it's a good story and it's a good hot dog, but um, what I try to sort of explore in the book as it pertains to that is, um, well, you know, if a hot dog is 150 what sort of um, labor violations and, and animal rights violations need to take place in order for a hot dog to be that cheap? And what is the price of an ethically made hot dog? What does an ethically made hot dog mean? And then you just, and then I, you know, spiraled and lost my mind for a year. But, um, but it is sort of an interesting question and um, going into like, well, where does Costco sorts their meat from? How are employees treated? And, um, and you can sort of spiral out from there. Shockingly, Costco, I mean, it's not good, but it's not the worst. So there's that. There's that. Um, we're going to talk about how hot dogs are made a little bit here. We have uh, something to play for you from one of your favorite videos. Let's listen. Oh, yay. <laughs> Water is sprayed into the mix, and everything is blended together in a big vat. Corn syrup adds a dash of sweetness. The addition of even more water helps to disperse the ingredients and make the hot dogs juicier. Another machine then purees the meat batter into a fine emulsion and vacuums out any air. 
Um, oh my first God. of all, if I never hear or think of the words meat batter ever, never again <laughs> in my life, I'd be fine with that. Um, but we kind of so have to confront, gorgeous. like, what I is this? Yeah, what video. are we? What were we listening to there? And why do you like this video so much? Okay, this video is absolutely legendary. Um, I believe it's a show called How It's Made. It's out of Canada, and it's. I, I love shows like this where it just shows you how popular products are made in mm -hmm. factories or, or wherever else. Um, the hot dog episode is particularly like they. As you could hear with the iconic soundtrack that yeah. plays with that slaps. clip, it slaps. They're really going over, uh, like above and beyond with the music and with the vocal performance to make it sound like you're not looking at the most disgusting thing you've ever seen in your life. Because what you're seeing as that happens is just like gushing pink goo from like the, just like from, from dead animals getting soupier and soupier and soupier and shooting out of machines and like, you know, being shot into cold water and hot water and die. And just, like, it's disgusting uh, to look at, but I, I love that video so much because um, they're doing everything in their power to try to remove you from how disgusting this process is. And it like, doesn't quite work, but mm -hmm. it almost works. I mean, my question is though, does how a hot dog's made, does knowing what's in it, knowing that process, does it detract from your enjoyment of the hot dog? Like what is it? Do, I mean, it clearly complicates the enjoyment of the hot dog that you clearly yeah. have. But like mm -hmm. what is it what does it actually do to your experience of that food? So I, I sort of thought when I went into researching this book, I went on the trip first before I researched how a hot dog was made in detail, because I sort of figured if I knew it would make it much harder to eat a lot of them over the course of a summer. Uh, and I was right about that. But uh, when I went back to uh, research how they're made, um, yeah, I mean, I honestly thought that I would be a vegetarian or a vegan now. And I wish I had, I mean, I think it's, I try to be honest about it because um, I'm still a meat eater and I still eat hot dogs all the time. I had one yesterday, going to have one tomorrow, taking a you know day off today, but maybe not hard to say. Um, but I, I mean, I love them. And I think that there is like a certain level, there is like a, uh, you know, attachment to meat eating. Like I've never uh, eaten vegetarian. It's also a nostalgia attachment. And it's also, you know, affordable and delicious. And so I can't really knock anyone for still eating them. Um, what I've tried to do and the adjustments that I try to make in my day-to-day -day hot dog life is, um, and what I hope the book can do for, for people is to give people a heightened awareness of um, where people and animals are treated uh, extremely unethically and avoiding those companies specifically, which is hard. And it does, you know, it's like not everyone is going to be able to do it because of the price point and the time it takes. But um, especially for people listening, if there's uh, Tyson or Smithfield Foods, it's like if there's any way you can avoid places from those plants, those are where the most significant abuses of people and animals are taking place, especially during um, the pandemic where um all of the issues that existed within meatpacking were exacerbated significantly. So what I try to do now is if I'm going to keep eating hot dogs, which I will, um, to, to try to, um, to, you know, seek them out from places where uh, the people are um, treated fairly, uh, who are producing it and selling it, and mm. the animals are, um, you know, have death with dignity, which is, you know, the least you can ask. Let's uh, let's bring in Karen in San Jose. Wants to uh, talk a little bit more on this topic. Welcome, Karen. 
Awesome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I really love this conversation, so I'm, I'm glad I get to be a part of it today. Um, I should note that I am a Hebrew national girl through and through. Oh. Big fan. Um, but uh, what I really wanted to, to share with you is um, that I, I'm really interested in the conversation around morality, around foods like this, and not just hot dogs, but processed foods in general. Um, as a working mom, it's something that I've struggled with having a bit of guilt over, right, and putting on the table in front of my own child. And I worked with a really wonderful dietitian this year. And as we discussed this topic, she reminded me of something um, that I think is really critical, which is, you know, our ancestors hundreds of years ago would have done anything they could to get their hands on uh, easy, inexpensive and preservable foods like these uh, to be able to mm-hmm. feed and keep their families alive and energized mm-hmm. um, was such a, an almost impossible task for them. And that today we're really in a place of privilege to think about foods that way, right? To think of them as uh, being a a moral choice or not. And some of us are, thankfully, privileged enough to have the opportunity to maybe choose more expensive options that have um, better ethics in terms of how animals are treated, how uh, workers are treated. But the reality is for so, so, so many people, foods like hot dogs have kept them and their children alive by giving them nutrients that they desperately needed at an affordable price point. So I just want to sort of challenge that notion of morality for listeners that, um, you know, this is a really, uh, it's a really beautiful thing that we've been able to keep so many kids energized and alive with these kinds of foods. Hey, thank you, Karen. Appreciate that. Jamie, you want to, you want to respond to that? Yeah, I think that that is that's an excellent point, and and that there is absolutely um, an element of privilege in in terms of like, I mean, and also just with time of like trying to seek out an ethical hot dog, it takes up a lot of time, um, and it it does take up more money, not as much as you would think, but uh, but more certainly than just your sort of average grocery store hot dog. Um, and I think that yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with what Karen is saying, and that is so sort of uh, cooked in to what the history of the hot dog is, is that it, part of why it was so appealing when it became popular um, was during the Great Depression. And um, the fact that this was an affordable and delicious food that kept the underclass going, essentially. And and um, I love learning about how those histories um, affect people regionally. There was a lot of um, pitching of the hot dog as two meals in one, um, mm. because in Chicago, you've got like a little salad on top in, uh, Baltimore, you've got a bologna fry, piece of fried bologna wrapped around the hot dog in the Southwest. You've got a piece of bacon wrapped around the hot dog. And in Philadelphia, you have like a fish cake, uh, spiked on top of it. And so there is like so much interesting history connected to, yeah, I mean, I, and, and I think ultimately the hot dog does belong to um, to the people, and as much as you sort of see now, people trying to gentrify the hot dog, which is like ridiculous. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a food of the people, and and I I think that's a great point that yeah. Karen makes um, is that like you know eat ethically, um, where and if you can, uh, and also honoring the history of like this is this food has kept a lot of people going, and I think that that's like at least part of why there is so much uh, love for it because it's good um let's talk about uh thomas in richmond you want to talk about a hot dog that you love yeah i wanted to give a shout out to our local franchise it was a uh, father-owned business passed down to two sons as far as the lord has been told to me um i'm not officially Mm -hmm. reciting any kind of text on this but i've always (laughs) been told that casper's hot dogs was divided between two brothers 
one yes. got the intellectual property, the logo, the cake, um, Caspers, and then the other one got the meat company, the Sea Caspers. I'm a fan of the Sea Caspers, and uh, <laughs> oh just got a gosh. really great atmosphere for singles or families. You come in there, you have a nice conversation, and the meat is impeccable, and you know you can put kraut on it, big slices of pickle, cheese. You can do chili. And um, they slice or dice the onions and tomatoes. I love the option for relish and mustard and mayo and ketchup. You do whatever you want. We haven't really all gathered around one unique combination of ingredients, but I just think it's a really great dog that everybody should try. I love that. Every oh one gosh. of these chains, right, Jamie, seems to have mm-hmm. like a story, like a like a Dallas or Dynasty level story about yes. like what happens when the the patriarch <sighs> passes on the hot dog stand. It's hot dog succession. Like it is amazing how consistent those stories are. I'm so excited to oh, to have the the Bay Area Casper's lore shouted out. I wish it made it into the book, um, but I honestly wasn't uh, aware of it. It's such a fascinating story of like yeah, just like a bizarre little blood feud within a family that results in a confusing business decision, which it almost always does. And you get Casper's with a C and Casper's with a K, and everyone's confused, but the food is the same. Um, and yeah, I, I had a really interesting Casper's experience last week because since the book came out last week, um, I've just been getting so many emails and talking to people and I live in LA and I, my first job there was working at a bookstore on the sunset strip. So I went there cause I wanted to buy it there. And the cashier was a uh, descendant from the Casper's family <laughs> and was telling me, she was, and seems like, I mean, I hope that she doesn't get in trouble for this, but she seemed a little exasperated with the whole thing where I was like, you know, she's like, yeah, they're, you know, they want a successor and like, I'm a vegan. I can't do it. <laughs> I just loved, I was like, wow, hot dog nepotism, like right in front of me. It's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. We have a couple other people uh, shouting out favorite hot dogs. Linda writes, I so enjoy hot dogs. Thank you for this episode on hot dogs. I grew up in Chinatown and my first outside the house dog experience was at the Noble Frankfurter up on Polk Street. Our uncle took us there and their hot dogs had the cheese in the middle of the dog. It was amazing. This was in the 70s. Another listener writes, What fun! Love your lighthearted as well as topical programs woven in with the more serious. Top Dog Hot Dog Joint was on Durant in Berkeley when I was a student, and it is still there nearly 40 years later. Not sure whether the same owners. A second shop also near campus. Love me sauerkraut of different types on a hot dog. We're taking your hot dog stories. Everyone's got one, it seems. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Emails forum at kqed.org. Stay tuned for the story about a go-go dancing hot dog right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking with Jamie Loftus. She is an amazing comedian, author of the book Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs, a kind of travelogue, a cultural history, a critique of our world, and also a lot of enjoying hot dogs, <laughs> like very literally. Uh, yes. uh, okay, I, I promoted it before the break. We got one of the most amazing comments of my time hosting the show. Maxine tweets, I used to occasionally go-go dance in San Francisco. In 2016, I danced at the Cat Club on Halloween. I dressed up like a sexy hot dog. I embellished a Labrador dog hot dog costume from PetSmart. And I never made so many tips. People just love a good hot dog. Maxine, thank you so much. love Maxine. She's not wrong. She people love. It also, it gives us a chance to talk about um, a persistent fascination in this book that I'm going to call hot dog adjacent. Um, which is your cataloging. You are the perhaps the foremost chronicler um, of gender pickles, what you call gender pickles. Um, yes. uh, please explain. <laughs> so this goes off of what we were talking about, about anthropomorphizing food. Um, I wasn't expecting to encounter so many pickles in my travels. I guess they are hot dog adjacent. Um, but I was really kind of shocked at, for some reason, like the hot dog anthropomorphization is like, it's creepy at times. It's cute at other times. The pickles are like overtly sexual. I could not, I can't tell you why pickles specifically really like bring this out in ad executives, but it clearly does. Uh, there, I was shocked at the first pickle uh, at the first gender pickles. This is a, a national brand Van Holten's pickles. Uh, you see them at the gas station. They're kind of like pickles for the car. Um, or for some reason, when I was in Texas, they're like, oh, those are the pickles you bring to the movies. And I was like, that's disgusting. We shouldn't bring <laughs> pickles to the movies. Uh, pickles in the car, I can accept. But it's, it's um, they have two different, I mean, they have like a dill pickle, a sour pickle, whatever, whatever it is. And you can get them regular or you can get them with these creepy little drawings um, that are like a really masculine pickle that they call Big Papa or like a, a, a mother pickle called Hot Mama. She's certainly sexualized. Uh, and then the two the two worst ones are uh, one called Sour Sis, who's like a curvy pickle, which doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah, that is and anti she- the nature of the pickle. Yeah. Pickles are not known for being for having human curves, but you know she's wearing a crop top and a, and a mini skirt. And then there's a guy named Garlic Joe who I just find absolutely terrifying. And he's kind of like a jock, and he's wearing you know a crop top, top, no pants, Donald Duck vibes all the way, and like dumbbells with onions on them. And I was like, that is so bizarre. Like, what is their story? And I would always, you know, I like car pickles, so I would, I would usually get a big papa for the road, unfortunately. Um, but then when I was in Toledo, Ohio, there was a different set of gender pickles that was even more expansive. Um, and if you sort of like follow the pickle jars along the wall, it, it's telling this story about a pickle and a pepper who fall in love, get married make love, and then give birth to a tomato. It's so weird. I don't know why people feel some kind of way about pickles, but they they, they obviously do. I, it, it makes, I, you, listeners should read this in the book because there's also these incredible drawings of them all. What, I mean, what do you make of foods as a kind of, yeah, as this kind of landscape for people to 
project a kind of weird heteronormative, I don't know, sexuality in into this world? Like, did you ever did you ever come to a conclusion about what it is that's happening there? Or did you just think like, man, people are weird and like move on? I think people are are definitely weird little perverts, no matter where you go. And that's kind of beautiful to me. And I also, but I also do think, yeah, like the, um, I don't know, I, especially with a food as sort of innocuous as a hot dog or pickles. It's like you, I, you sort of notice small businesses bending over backwards to differentiate theirs because it's kind of hard to differentiate a pickle. But if you have a sexy pickle... Well, maybe people will opt for that over, you know, a bland regular pickle. Um, I'm not really sure though, and and yeah. I, I've thought of that as well of how the the at least the the pickle stories I've encountered are very heteronormative and they're very, uh, you know, down the the gender binary. There's right. not really a lot, and so I was like, oh, there should be more inclusion in these sexy pickles. But then I was like, do people want that or should we just stop? You know, maybe we could stop. Maybe they could just be a cucumber that's on the, that's on the front, you know? (laughs) Exactly. I don't know if people want more sexy pickles, maybe just like less. Yeah. 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 Do less. (laughs) Although I would love, I would love, I would love, you know, um, queer sexy pickles as well. If that's something people want, I don't know. Um, we have a couple other comments. We're going to go back to the phones. Uh, Jed writes, 45 plus years ago, I went to West Point, Nebraska to meet my then girlfriend's family. They owned Wimmer's Meat Products, founded in 1934. Their company's yearly 12-month calendar was illustrated with cartoon hot dogs cooking other hot dogs at a hot dog cookout. Yoinks. Oh, my God. Hot dogs cannibalized their brethren. By the way, they were great hot dogs. The company was absorbed by Landa Frost in 2012. <laughs> Oh my God, that is truly the best rise and fall story I've ever heard. That really, and- <laughs> that coda, Judd, you're, you're a professional Gorgeous. writer. Um, Gorgeous. Let's, uh, let's bring in Chris in Hayward. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thank you guys Hello. very much. Great, great discussion, great topic. So my story is, you know, many years ago, we moved out of the city because we had to grow up and have kids. And we moved to Hayward which has Casper hot dogs, which another caller had already mentioned. And we kind of raised our kids. I liked the Casper dogs. I thought it was just an excellent hot dog. So we kind of raised our kids on these hot dogs. And I can remember the first, to me, the funny story is the very first time we went to a barbecue where people had other hot dogs. And my kids were in line to get these hot dogs. They're all excited because they've been used to this wonderful snap and crisp from a Casper's dog. Mm-hmm. And they got kind of this mushy, whatever it was, Costco kind of dog. And I got it and bit into it. had these looks of absolute horror on their faces. Like, this isn't what a hot dog tastes like. Yeah. So that that's really it. It was just like their amazement at how different one hot dog can be. Yeah, that is, that's oh, such wow. a good point, Chris. I, lo- I love that. And you also mentioned what I feel like is the key word in Jamie's hot dog lexicon which is yes. the snap. Mm-hmm. What, tell love, me about I, the snap. Like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Oh, the snap is, um, yes, it's an industry term, but clearly it's reached the Casper's community. Um, the snap of a hot dog is, uh, it's, it's traditionally associated with the meat hot dog. I don't know that uh, vegan dogs have gotten the snap 
quite right yet. But uh, for a meat hot dog, it's a beef hot dog for me. Um, it's the first bite where you feel your, uh, this is kind of gross, but like you feel your you know teeth tear through the, uh, through the casing and into the hot dog. And you just, there's a little noise and a little feeling of that first hot dog bite. And if it's a really good hot dog, it, for me, it's grilled. It could be pan fried, whatever it is. You, you can like feel that first bite. Um, and it is very, um, it's very visceral and it's very satisfying. And, um, you know, I grew up on boiled hot dogs in new England. And so it wasn't even a phenomenon I was aware of until I was an adult. <laughs> Um, one listener writes in to ask, uh, does Jamie have thoughts on whether the hot dog's diminutive cousin, the Vienna sausage, deserve a mention in this discussion? I do. The answer I think can just be he- no. I, th- I think it does, though, because, I mean, that's like connected to Vienna beef and Vienna beef is a hot dog, you know, meat production legend. I went to this didn't make the book. It is like bizarre how much got cut from the book because I just love hot dogs so much. But I went to this three day course called Hot Dog University that was run through the Vienna beef company where they essentially teach you the ins and outs of uh, running a small hot dog business. And so I have a lot of love for the expanded uh, Vienna beef family. (laughs) Cinematic universe. Yes, Um, yes. Dorothy in San Francisco, welcome. Hi, how are you today? Hey, doing well. Thanks for calling. Uh, Basically, I wanted to talk to one issue nobody has brought up. And for me, the um, high end of having a great hot dog is having a great hot dog bun. And lots of the buns on the market today that you buy in a grocery store are really horrible. They're very, very soft, very full of sugar, too much white bread, and have no texture whatsoever. Recently, I bought a really good hot dog bun. It was a brioche hot dog bun, and it was thicker, and it had more texture, And I really like also to use dust crunch buns and put hot dogs on those. Do you know of any good hot dog buns that you can use on really great hot dogs like Nathan's hot dogs? Ah, love it, Dorothy. Love it. Thank you for bringing up this issue um, of bun erasure on the show so far. Um, (laughs) Jamie. Yes. I love that we're talking about buns. I am a very impassioned bun advocate. Um, I know that for some, and, and it's, you know, no shade, no shame for some, a classic grocery store white bread bun is the best option. For me, I feel like if I'm having the toppings that I want on a hot dog, it's going to turn the, uh, you know, the, the, that kind of bun into like liquid gluten in my hand. And I hate that. I can't stand it. A brioche bun is an excellent option. My favorite option is a toasted pretzel bun. Uh. They're kind of hard to find, a little bougie, but I always, if there's an option for a pretzel bun, I will always spring for it because it's like a stronger bread. It doesn't overpower the meat. Um, similar for the brioche, but it, but for me, it's, you know, if you want to steam it, be my guest, but I think a light toast on the bun, you truly cannot go wrong because then your hot dog can just hold, you know, your hot dog's prepared for ev- anything and that's important. 
Okay, two comments that will call forth one of your most controversial opinions. Uh, first, oh, no. <laughs> Dan writes, enjoying your show today, please give a shout out to Roy's Chicago Dogs in Petaluma, California, okay. located next to Petaluma Livestock Auction, a real hot dog heaven, incredible variety. Leslie writes, did Miss Loftus get to the Super Dog Drive-In on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago? I hope so. I did. Because the larger-than-life hot dog couple with glowing eyes on the roof is iconic in Chicago hot dog culture. Chicago style, which means a pure beef hot dog with the classic trimmings of mustard, glowing green relish, kosher dill, chopped onions, and a sport hot pepper, and no ketchup. You have a controversial opinion about Chicago dogs. Uh, I already want to walk it back. I'm so I'm doing a book event in Chicago on Monday, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Take it strong. You got to go in there. It's, Guns blazing. Well, I, I got to hold it down. I It is not my favorite kind of hot dog. I don't really like the Chicago hot dog style. I think it is like I haven't found many people who love Chicago hot dogs who didn't grow up or live there for a long time. I think it's a little gross. It's a little wet. There's too much going on on the hot dog. I'm like cringing right now because I'm afraid of hot dog, uh, of Chicago hot dog fans. I have, however, been to super dog and they don't quite i mean they don't do kind of the classic chicago they have a lot of different makes there and they have yeah some of the most aggressively gendered hot dogs i've ever seen in my life (laughs) it's like two hot dogs on the roof one is dressed in like a poodle skirt and has a bow on her head and the other one is like in this tarzan outfit and has big meaty thighs um and at night their eyes glow red and you're like this is so something it's so something's got um, uh, by the way, our producer, uh, Judy from the Upper Midwest, would like you to know that you're wrong about Chicago dogs. <laughs> I, oh, my God. <laughs> Don't it begins. I, I read over how harsh I was on the Chicago hot dog. And I was like, I don't know if I have like a death wish or something uh, because people ride for the Chicago hot yeah. dog. You were, in, you were in clearly enjoying skewering the Chicago hot dog. Um, I was, yeah, in the privacy of my own home, but now I have to go back to Chicago. <laughs> um, let's bring in uh, Claudia in El Sobrante. Welcome. Hi there. Good morning, you guys. Um, I just uh, wanted to share my, um, I guess, my Mexican way of making hot dogs. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, um, let's see. So I... I like to wrap bacon around them and fry them yes. with the bacon at the same time. I do fry them with a little bit of oil. Um, and, and then I make like a, a pico de gallo type of relish. Um, I do tend to dice the pickles. I never like like chewing pickles. That was weird to me. So totally I just dice them on the salsa. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was actually never into pickles until I put it in the salsa. And then, um, yeah, just this relish of pico de gallo with... Uh, with um, the pickles and like maybe some um, jalapenos um, and that juice that comes in the in the bottle of the jalapenos and then the hot dogs you know I do toast the bread and then fry because I do like the crunch but you know I grew up with two bricks and a fire in Mexico so everything I do is like burnt and oh, it tastes amazing. really good. Oh, I love that! So. No, I love the char on the <laughs> that bun. Like That's so good, heaven. Claudia. That is yeah. the best sounding hot dog. I'd also say it really recalls uh, after one of when the Warriors still played in Oakland, going back mm. to the Bart, like on the there. You know, there was like the the 
way that you'd walk back. You'd walk oh my past God. people. Oh, those smell so good after oh. a concert or yes. something. I always feel like I'm like sinning when I eat one of those. Uh, <laughs> as, your hot dog sounds so um, it reminds me of um like outside of the Staples Center or outside Dodger Stadium. It's like independent vendors will will prepare them that way. And it's so much better than what you can get inside a stadium. It's crazy. It is it's so, so good. good. Claudia, please, uh, sometime we'll have to like have you come by the station and we'll, we'll eat so good. Well, um, I wanted to mention one important thing. The ratio has to be right. Sometimes his weenies are like way too fat. So I sometimes cut them in halves so then you can, you know, with the bacon, it's just too much meat. You got to get the right ratio of like salsa, bread, and, you know, it's just like a tamale, I guess. Yeah, anyway, that's have so a great funny. barbecue time, you guys. <laughs> hey, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, How do you with the ratio talk? It's so important. Oh my so gosh, we're talking about issues today. I know. Oh my god, wait, <laughs> I have to, uh, Jamie. I have to tell you about this uh, comment that yes. just came in. Giselle writes in to say, "My husband comes from a tiny village in the Austrian Alps. They have a vending machine." That has all kinds of sausages, including Frankfurters, parentheses, our hot dogs, on their marketplace, just in case you need a hot dog at, say, 3 a.m. and all the stores are closed. Did you run into, in all of your travels of our vast country, a hot dog vending machine? I did not. That sounds incredible. I'm just like... (laughs) Besides that, I mean, I wonder if how do, how we are able to like keep them intact. I would love to get a hot dog from a vending machine. I think that the 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 most unusual place I got a hot dog was like a, a storage container. Um, but but a hot dog vending machine, I think we should really get that going. I w- and I would that. love to travel internationally and uh, <laughs> and learn about hot dogs. I was like, I I want I want to do a sequel. I was in Montreal a couple weeks ago and had hot dog poutine like. People, it, it is, I think that, you know, we, we get so America-centric, but it's like, there's incredible hot dogs all over the world. Um, I, I know that um, Iceland and Canada and Mexico, I mean, there's like all, and, and then of course, when you go to Germany and, and I mean, it's just, I want them all. I want to try them all. Oh my gosh. We have so many good callers left in the queue. I'm so sorry to all of you that we're not going to get to you. We've got an engineer there. We've got another person who wants to talk about that, you know, policy around around food choices um, and also some favorite <sighs> dogs. This is, Jamie, you brought out the people. I want to thank you for that. I'm so glad. That's like my favorite thing is to find something that everyone feels strongly about um, and and bring people together over it to get in a weird fight. It's the best. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Last two uh, comments. Uh, One listener wants to give a shout out to Okie Dog on Hollywood Boulevard. Favorite post-punk gig meeting spot in the 80s. Another person wants to give a shout out to Pronto Pup at Playland at the beach in the 1950s. And Jacqueline wants to mention that she went to the University of Wisconsin at Madison in the early 1970s. I'm going to present this without comment. We called hot dogs tube steaks. Seemed an appropriate name for a student budget. We've been joined this morning by Jamie Loftus. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. So fun. This hour of form is produced by Blanca Torres, Jennifer Ng, Juan Carlos Lara, Lakshmi Sarah, and Grace Juan. Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Christopher Beale, and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Rachel Myro. Thank you.
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.